it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for the Bible geek, such as he is. It's not that uh, huge a show anymore, uh, since we uh, spend much of our time doing more extensive lectures. Well, if that weren't enough to try your patience, I hope tonight in answering one question I've looked forward to answering for some time to uh, take the risk of uh, uh, trying your patience again, because to answer a very good question, I need to uh, read you a few pages of a couple of enormously interesting books at least I consider them so, and I hope they will tantalize you into uh, getting all of them. First, this is uh, Stephen's question, way back uh, April 12th. In Moses' lecture 4, you mentioned that Abraham was a moon god who gave birth to the stars. Can you elaborate on this? Uh, well, or I don't want to come back to the rest of it, but my answer to that first. Here is just a bit from a book I just absolutely love, uh, Mythology Among the Hebrews and Its Historical Development by Ignaz Goldseer. Uh, this uh, very old book, uh, Ignaz is I-G-N-A-Z, Goldseer, G-O-L-D-Z-I-H-E-R. Member of the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. This book was an oldie reprinted uh, in 1967. I'm sure you can still get a copy. He was uh, enamored of Max Muller's theory of uh, the solar and lunar, etc., origin of a great amount of mythology. And uh, today the best known uh, exponent of that view is my friend Acharya S and uh, a lot of people just consider it passe I think that's a big mistake uh, just because there are other explanations for many myths and there are all sorts of origins of and uses for mythology uh, you, you, know, you need to look for one totalizing theoretical explanation that would explain everything with, with no other theories needed uh, I think that Goldseer was right in following Muller in seeing uh, astrology, astronomy at the basis of some of these characters. Again, there may have been other other dimensions to them. I think there were, but I think that at, at the root, uh, this is uh, it is astronomical. Uh, again, let me start on page 91. It's a little way into chapter 5, the most prominent figures in Hebrew mythology. In the designation of the heaven, the Semite starts from the sensuous impression of height and therefore forms the names denoting it from the roots, Sama or Shama and Ram, both of which express the idea of being high. 
to the latter group belongs, for instance, the Ethiopic Rayam, which denotes heaven. Both roots are combined in the Phoenician Shamin Rum. One of the most prominent figures of Hebrew mythology belongs to this category, Abram, the High Father, with his innumerable host of descendants. We have seen above that in his view of nature, the nomad begins with the sky at night. The sky by itself is the dark, nightly, or clouded heaven. The sunshine on the sky is an accessory. Hence it comes that in Arabic the word sky, sama, is very often used even for rain, and the notions of rain and sky are so closely interwoven that even the traces of rain on the earth are called sky. In the language of the Bongo people, there is only one word for sky and rain, hetoro. On Semitic ground, the Assyrian divine name, Ramanu or Raman, must be mentioned here. If this name has any etymological connection with the root Ram, to be high as Hesychius, <laughs> and some modern scholars say, though others derive it from Ra'am, thunder, Ra'aman, the thunderer, then we find here again the primitive mythological idea that the intrinsically high is the dark stormy sky or personified the god of storms. So also in the old Hebrew myth, the high is the nightly or rainy sky. The best known myth that the Hebrews told of their Abram is the story of the intended sacrifice of his only son Yitzhak, commonly called Isaac. But what is Yitzhak? Literally translated, the word denotes he laughs or the laughing. In the Semitic languages, especially in proper names and epithets, the use of the aorist, even in the second person, for instance in the Arabic name Tazid, is very frequent where we should employ a participle, so here. Now, who is the he laughs, the smiling one? No other but he who sits in heaven and laughs, Psalm 2-4, whom the mythology of almost all nations and their later poetry, too, likes to call the laughing or smiling one. When, as Plutarch tells in his life of Lycurgus, that legislator consecrated a statue to laughter, Gelos, and laughter jo- enjoyed divine honors at Sparta, we're certainly not to understand it of the laughter that plays round the lips of mortals, but of the celestial smile with which mythology endows the sun, as when the Indian singer calls Ushas, the sun, the smiling, Rig Veda 6, 64, 10. With regard to the sun's laughing in the Aryan mythology, we can refer to the learned work of Angelo de Gubernatis, Zoological Mythology, Volume 1, 1, 1. 
but there is a primitive connection between the ideas to laugh and to shine which is not as might be thought brought about figuratively by a mere poetical view but at least on the Semitic field established at the very beginning of the formation of speech an extraordinary number of the verbs which describe a loud expression of joyousness to shout, bellow, laugh, etc. originally denoted to shine and dazzle be visible and the like affording another confirmation of Geiger's thesis that language owes its origin more to optic than to acoustic impressions. I give a series of linguistic facts as examples to prove this assertion. The Hebrew sahal signifies both to shine bright and to cry aloud, and its phonetic connection with shahar, zahar, etc. proves the priority of the optical meaning. Similarly, hillel, which means to cry out, triumph was originally to be brilliant as is proved by the derivative nouns hilal new moon and halel hebrew morning star and the employment of the verb itself in hebrew sarach sarach sarahu denotes to cry in the chief representatives of semitism but the arabic has also preserved the original sense Clarus manifestus fuit, which appears in the Hebrew noun serach, a conspicuous eminence or a high tower. The roots yatha in hitho, to be bright, and pa to cry, are through their etymological connection brought into this group. The root of the Hebrew hadad, cry of joy, is the same from which hadad, the name of the Syrian god of the shining sun, can be etymologically derived. This root undoubtedly represents a reduplicated form of the radical of the solar name Yehuda or Judah, uh, the verbal root from which nahar, Aramaic, nahara, Hebrew, daylight is derived as in one Arabic derivative form, the meaning to cry. So also shahak, to, to laugh aloud, compare sa'ak, to cry. It must have originally expressed the idea of being bright, clear, which is proper to this primitive Semitic root, sah or sach. If this be admitted, it follows that the name Yitzach is a solar epithet, was not formed by mere figurative or poetical metaphor, but is based on the original signification of the group of roots to which it belongs. Poetical phraseology then brought into general use what was based on etymology. I want to skip a little bit of that uh, and get into one of the myths uh, on page 96 we have in passing treated the words he who sits in heaven laughs in the second psalm as a mythical reminiscence which originally referred to the sun but then like similar instances was employed by the poet in another sense but there is nothing to exclude the possibility that the laughter of him who sits in heaven may refer in this passage not to the sweet smile of the bright sunny sky but to the wild raging of the thunderer pictured in the midst of scornful laughter etc um, then we get into the Abraham and Isaac myth section 2 the same myth is also given as follows uh, wait a minute um, now let's, let's skip that he goes into Jephthah I guess I'd like to ooh, well there's just so much good stuff here I'd be reading the whole book um Oh, this is a, 
All right, let's go to section three. The myth of the death of Isaac and that of his later life, which of course presupposes that he continued to live, are not contradictory to the myth of the mythical mind. At a more advanced stage of intellectual life, which had lost all share in an understanding of the nature myth, and the mythical figures became epic persons, this contradiction necessitated an arrangement or harmonizing process. And in this lies the reason for the origin of the turn which occurred in the historical form of the legend of Isaac, substituting for the accomplished homicide an intended homicide. Um, there are, just pause, there are rabbinical discussions of the story of Abraham and Isaac that uh, understand Abraham did actually kill him and that the ashes of his death atoned for Israel, etc. So two versions here. All right. Um, in this lies the reason for the origin of the turn which occurred in the historical form of a legend of Isaac substituting for the accomplished homicide an intended homicide which latter when religious feeling began to rule over the still existing mythic materials became later simply an act of pious willingness to perform a sacrifice such contradictions do not present themselves distinctly to the mind of men at the stage of the actual formation of the myths the slain Isaac appears again on the arena a few hours after he was killed he shows himself afresh um, and uh, and then uh, he goes in he gives a central African tribal myth which speaks of the return of the sun scarcely is one sun dead in the west in the evening than there grows up out of the earth in the east next morning another which is no better well, uh, that's what happens when uh, when uh, Abraham, who is the moon, seeks to kill Isaac, who is the sun. Uh, he uh, tries to do it to gain unchallenged dominance over the sky uh, by making sure the sun will never rise to usurp his position. But of course, the sun is going to rise. So. Uh, either he is confuted in his efforts, as the text now reads, or uh, he is successful, but Isaac rises from the dead, and you have a resurrection much like that of Mithras, who uh, dies and is reborn every year. So a fascinating book. I, I just, you know, I can't read enough of it to show you how great it is, but Goldseer's mythology among the Hebrews and its historical development. Now back to uh, Stephen's question. He asked me to elaborate on Abraham as the moon god and all that. Okay, uh, if he was a moon god, what are the implications for Islam in claiming to be an Abrahamic faith? Or do you think they inherited this label from the various Christian sects that influence, according to Luling, the formation of the Quran and Islam? Uh, now, uh, that's interesting. I'll pause and consider another part of this question next. I think, basically, the uh, prominence of Abraham does get inherited from Judaism and Christianity, and yet uh, you wonder, because there are, there are heretical offshoots of Islam that uh, believe in the deity of Ali, the... Um, 
the cousin and adopted son of Muhammad, uh, one of the imams, uh, that uh, gets pretty uh, pretty wild. And uh, these are the Gulat sects or extremist sects of, of Shiite Islam. And let me recommend to you another unbelievably interesting book by Mati Musa and Mati like Matthew M A T T I Musa M O O S A. He, I believe, is a Coptic Christian, and his book is Extremist Shiites, the Gulat Sects, and that is spelled G-H-U-L-A-T. This book was uh, printed by Syracuse University Press. I'm sure you can still get a hold of it. Uh, let's see now. Uh, let me just read you bits of this. Some Ali Ilahis, that is those who believe that Ali is an incarnation of Allah, believe that Ali, Allah, is the Son, S-U-N, and that the only reason he left the Son to live in a human body was to be able to help Muhammad. That is why they call the Son, S-U-N, Ali, Allah. Others assert that Ali is as inseparable from God as its rays are from the sun. Perhaps because of this belief, they hold light as a sacred symbol of divine influence. The association of Ali with the sun is a major dogma of the Nusairis. That's all. That sect is also called the Alawi sect. They're the ruling party in Syria today. The Ali Ilahis further believe that God is light, the source of life and of the whole universe. And for this reason, they have a custom of setting a portion of food before a candle. And uh, there's all sorts of interesting things about how they uh, exalt Jesus, uh, too. Uh, let's, uh, but let's go on into a little bit more of this stuff with the sun and the moon. Um... Well, at the end of one chapter, we have summarized these passages in order to show the lengths to which the new Syri writers went in order to appropriate Ali as the manifestation of God and make his manifestation an, ex- quote, exclusively Persian, unquote, privilege associated with the worship of light and fire, which are part of the Persian tradition. The new Syri writers, who are mostly of Persian origin, have Persianized Ali as a divinity to allow the Persians to boast to the Arabs that the Arab Hashemite Ali had become a Persian deity whom the Arabs had lost because they were not worthy of him. Making Ali a Persian deity also offered the Persians the opportunity to boast that though the Arabs have Muhammad as their prophet, the Persians have their god, Ali, who created Muhammad from the light of his essence. Hence the Persians and the Nusairis can claim spiritual superiority over the Arabs. there's, uh, There's some dispute also as to uh, which uh, whether Muhammad should be considered the uh, should be identified with the sun or the moon uh, one sect uh, makes uh, uh, Ali the sun and Muhammad the moon the other um, Muhammad the sun and Ali the moon I know this seems uh, utterly bizarre 
it surely does not answer to what we think of as either Sunni or Shiite Islam. But uh, it is astonishing to me that um, even now, the, uh, the what we might think of as primitive solar and lunar mythology crops up uh, in uh, Islam, which uh, admittedly mutant versions of it. Uh, so, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, the, those things sometimes are vestiges of very old and otherwise forgotten roots of a faith. So, who knows? Maybe this is a survival of something very, very old. Well, third part of his question that Stephen asks... Next, it seems to me that Joshua is an old Semitic deity, especially since his father is uh, reported as Nun, who was the deity of the water or the sea in several Middle Eastern mythologies. Is this correct? If so, could the story of his destruction of Jericho have been an attempt to explain the destruction of the walled town by people who did not understand geology? How was Jericho, the great walled city, destroyed? Well, Joshua the god did it by shaking the walls and causing a great fire to consume things. I think you're right. Uh, certainly Joshua does other things that seem godlike. One reads between the lines and feels that Joshua is the same as the captain of the armies of Yahweh. And, uh, that, uh, and th this is all mighty interesting for a lot of reasons because it tends to reinforce the old contention that once seemed strained and implausible of the Christ myth theorists that there was... Uh, a Hebrew god named Jesus or Joshua long before the dawn of Christianity. Well, I think they're right. Uh, there was. And uh, this is evidence for it. So I believe, Stephen, you're uh, right on the money there, both in your questions and your answers. Uh, bravo. And I'll see you next time for more good questions and mediocre answers on the Bible Geek. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.